Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. So today we're going to cover chapter 5 and 6 in Siddhartha. And if you've read the... Um, oh, I'm just looking at the clock. Are you seriously want me to talk about 50 minutes today? <laughs> you should see it as if you look back, those who are in person, that's my time clock. So I don't think anyone wants me to talk 50 minutes today. So <laughs> I think it's funny. Usually it's a lot shorter and I go over all the time. So I thought that's cute. So thank you very much. But I'm, not, I'm trying to do it. Oh, there you go. I'm trying to be a little bit more efficient today. Let me see. There we go. So chapter 5 and 6, if you read it, you may have wondered what this is all about. Chapter 5 is about Kamala, and chapter 6 is about the merchant that Siddhartha goes to to learn from him, Kamaswami. They're both very important people in the story, but they're also very important spiritual aspects in our lives. You notice they start with the same root word, comma, and I go into that a little bit later, what that means. Very significant. But since we are talking about Father's Day today, and I just talked about the mother-father harmony, you actually get to see here Kamala and Kamaswami, in a sense, expressing that same harmony. Now, in the story, it's expressed in a way where it can go wrong. When Kamaswami gets really, really attached to his materials, his wealth. And even Kamala, even though she shows some interesting development in herself in the interaction with Siddhartha, um, she also shows some of those things that we sometimes do when we take things just a little bit too far. So those five, chapter five and six are actually ways where we spiritually practice and yet we are missing the mark. And I want you to keep that in mind a little bit as we go through this. Because we're talking about Kamala and Kamaswami, we can also look at some of the Eastern philosophies, Taoism, Confucianism, and others who use the yin-yang as a symbol. And you see the female and the male energy represented here. The female being the passive, the knight, the intuitive, the soft, the male being the active, the sun, the hot, and some of those words may come across as negative, but they're not meant to be negative. It's not that all females are negative and all males are positive, but we need that interaction between those two energies in order to find harmony. This is why in Buddhism, accepting 
and working with the pain we have in our lives is so important because it's learning to accept even that, we, that which we usually push away. And that's a very important spiritual principle. And as you see Siddhartha evolving himself in the future chapters, you will see that happening, how he learns to accept even those things in life that he usually wouldn't, that we wouldn't. So in chapter five, it's all about Kamala. And Kamala is described as a courtesan, right? As a woman of the evening, a wealthy woman, um, being surrounded by wealthy people and so on, wealthy men, and Siddhartha comes and uh, just having left the Samanas, right, in like a loincloth and very skinny, not having anything, and it seems like a very interesting mismatch there. And throughout the story, you'll get to see that there is something happening in both Siddhartha and in Kamala, and that is very representative of what's happening in us, too because we have very much Kamala energy in us, the energy that wants to go for pleasure, go for the over-the-edge kind of, let me do this so I feel better about myself. Addictions are often uh, represented in what we see here in Kamala, that energy going for pleasure. And so Siddhartha is learning to integrate something he has deprived himself for three years while he was living with the Samanas. He was depriving himself from pleasure, and now he's learning to accepting the pleasurable parts in his life. Because here is the thing. No one is asking us to stop feeling pleasure, feeling joy, feeling that we can have relationships, romantic relationships, that we can have desires, that we can fulfill those desires. That's not the ask of our spiritual principles at all. The ask is that we learn to do it in a way that is aligned with our own higher self, not overdoing it but keeping it to a place where it's aligned with our deepest desires. Because sometimes we just forget, right? The desire to be wealthy is, in the end, just about having enough, isn't it? Research shows us that over and over again, that while, we are, while, while there is a, a very steep curve from someone who is very poor and doesn't have much to eat or anything to eat, it doesn't have shelter, there's a steep curve until they're satisfied, up until to the point where they have food and shelter, but not much else. And then we're looking at a very slow increase from those who are just getting by, but they have everything they need, and those who are so insanely rich we cannot even imagine. That happiness scale that researchers look at, 
or the wellness scale. It's called uh, subjective well-being is the technical term. That doesn't really go up that much. And we're actually seeing here that in a very unscientific fashion in the story happening, that Siddhartha learns to realize that in order for him to have true happiness, he is allowed to have pleasure as he's learning with Kamala, but he's also holding on to his principles that he goes by, that he learns, learned from the Samanas. In the very beginning of this chapter, we still kind of bleed over from chapter four. Remember chapter four was chapter on awakening, and it was a beautiful description of what it looks like, sounds like, feels like, to have an experience of awakening, of true enlightenment. And in this chapter, before he meets Kamala, that happens too. It's in, in this long paragraph here, but I wanna, what I wanted to point out is he's pointing out two distinct things. He's saying that, but in former times, all of this had been nothing more than Siddhartha, than a fleeting, to Siddhartha, than a fleeting deceptive veil before his eyes. And then in the end it says, since it was not the essential existence. He's realizing in his journey, on his journey, that there is this veil that exists. And that he is able to lift, not all the time, but once in a while. And then there is an eternal existence, an essential existence that goes beyond all of that. And I want you to keep in mind that Siddhartha is a very clear experience of that. And he holds on to that throughout chapter 5 and 6. And if you read that chapter over and over again, you get to see that. You get to see in the interaction that Siddhartha has that he, even though he's learning from Kamala about love, about passion, and learning from Kamaswami about the art of being a merchant and making money and become wealthy, he never loses that part. He never loses that part. And that is what it means to be on a spiritual path. Because it essentially brings us back to the Om symbol that I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. The Om symbol has the secret of the universe built in. We have on the bottom left those three half circles that are combined, which I call the world as it is. That's what we see, we feel, we experience with our senses. And then on that diamond on the top, that we can identify as Atman. Siddhartha talks about Atman quite a bit, and I mentioned before that Atman is so much more than just our soul. It is our true self, which goes even beyond the individualization of the soul. Because we often think of a soul as still being separate, don't we? When we think of us as a soul having lived over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, hundreds or thousands of lives, 
we still think of us as kings and servants and masters and gladiators and whatever it is we, we may have felt we were in the past. That's still individualized. Atman is a true freedom from that. That is the essential existence that Siddhartha talks about. That's what Siddhartha experienced in chapter 4 in Awakening. And that's what he is bringing into his experiences and his learning with Kamala and Kamaswami. Just keep that in mind, and I encourage you maybe to go back and read it again with that clarity in mind. And some of what he says may actually come a little bit, become more clear to you why he is saying what he is saying. And then, of course, before I forget, there is Maya, the illusion. That's the veil that he is talking about. You know, when he experiences all the wonderful things, the shiny objects, the, the beautiful golden shimmer around the leaves of the trees and things like that, then he is still realizing that there is a veil in between his experience and truth, what we in unity call truth, that which is no longer distorted in any way. So he is then, it's another paragraph before he meets Kamala, the ultimate meaning was hidden behind both of them. So he's talking about thoughts and all the senses. And he recognizes there that our senses, they're in a way deceiving. What we learn in chapter five and six is that when we follow our senses, we may actually get lost. But if we experience our senses and we enjoy our senses, all of our senses, we enjoy them, but still keep in mind that the ultimate meaning is behind all of that. That's the true path. That's what it means to be a human being living a spiritual experience, is to not forget that there is a bigger reality behind it. So this is a, a, a depiction of Kamala. Kamala is often drawn or painted with four, sometimes two, sometimes four elephants. And there's lotus flowers down there, and she sits on the lotus flower because Kamala means lotus flower. And she's one of the 10 primary deities in Hinduism, one of the first female goddesses, 10 powerful female goddesses that we recognize. And when Kamala enters the story, you know, she impresses Siddhartha. Siddhartha immediately recognizes the beauty of Kamala, but not so much, not only the beauty, the obvious beauty of her body and her ability to flirt and to be sensual and all that. Yes, that's part of his experience, but he also experiences her true beauty behind her. And he wants to learn more. Because even though her life as a, as a person of the night may not be necessarily seen as proper or even nowadays may not be accepted by society, <clears throat> she still has something very important to teach Siddhartha. What it means not to deprive ourselves 
from everything or from some of the things that we truly desire. <clears throat> the one story that this all links into Christianity is Jesus' first miracle at the wedding at Cana. Most of you are probably familiar with the story, right? Where Jesus is part of his wedding, and if you know a little bit about how weddings went back then, it's not like here where you go rehearsal dinner maybe the day before, and then the next day you go to church and you have a dance, and then that's it. No, no, that goes on for days. And they're pretty much drunk for days, too. <laughs> so naturally, they ran out of wine because there's the whole village that comes together. It's not just a few people. It's the whole village, whether they're, they're invited or not, they're all part of it, and they're all partying and all that. And very much this is a representation of what Kamala represents, the desire, the pleasure, the... The, the pleasurable part of our lives, the things that we like to enjoy through drinking wine, eating food, being with other people, feeling and experiencing those people. And in the midst of all of that, there is Jesus. And his mom is there too, and he gets a little annoyed about his mom. Do you remember that? His mom knew there was something special about Jesus, and basically said, oh, Jesus can fix it, right? We ran out of wine. Jesus can fix it. And here's what Jesus says, right? Woman, what concern is that to me and to you? My hour has not yet come. It's very similar to what Siddhartha is experiencing with Kamala and Kamaswami, is learning to be and to stand in his power and people starting to resonate with his power, starting to recognize that he is different. He doesn't go by the same things than other people go. He is somehow driven by something else. And you can see this in the story of Siddhartha in those two chapters, and you can also see it in the wedding at Cana, where Jesus, before he does this first miracle of turning water into wine, he really is reluctant doing so. It's very early in his ministry. Remember, he's still learning, just like Siddhartha. He's still figuring it out. He knows, he knows something special, and he knows that all the wedding stuff and all the hoopla and that's going on is not really not his thing to do, but at the same time, he's also not willing to follow his cousin, John the Baptist, who was an ascetic. He's very much similar to Siddhartha in that way. Jesus knew that being an ascetic was not his way. There was something else where we are allowed to experience our pleasures in life. We're allowed to make mistakes. We're allowed to be part of something beautiful. We don't have to reclude ourselves and live in a cave all the time. But at the same time, there is a bigger picture we all need to remember. So then we're going back to Kamala, and here is where it gets really interesting. Who is Kamala? Kamala sits on a lotus flower here, and if you have ever looked at, at some of the Om symbols that are around, 
you will actually rec recognize that sometimes the ohm symbol is drawn with what is a lotus flower around it, in the center of the lotus flower. Sometimes it's drawn above a lotus flower. So the lotus flower has a lot of deep meaning in Buddhism, in Hinduism, some of the Eastern philosophies. The petals of the lotus flowers are special uh, in the studies of uh, consciousness, raising and increasing consciousness. The lotus flower is often depicted on our head, the crown chakra, and it's meant that the lotus flower that lives on our crown chakra has a thousand leaves. And when we have an experience of awakening, one of those leaves starts to turn, starts to go around. And that's why we often see the lotus flower in combination with the Om symbol, because it has to do with the way we can learn to truly awaken in our lives. Kamala is also another form of Lakshmi. Ever heard of Lakshmi? It's just kind of like a, a, a shadow of Lakshmi, but not in a negative way. Lakshmi is Vishnu's wife. You see here Vishnu and Lakshmi together. That's a very popular depiction of Vishnu and Lakshmi. Vishnu is the sustainer of creation. He's part of the tree Murti. I'll show you a picture in a moment. You have Shesha, uh, uh, the, the snake, protecting them. They're sitting again on a lotus flower, and, and now they're, that lotus flower, you see the snake's tail protecting them. They're floating in the ocean. It's a very popular picture. Lakshmi is the goddess, one of the three, tri, three goddesses, the tree Devi, the first three goddesses, most powerful goddesses ever in the Hindu mythology. And she represents wealth, beauty, love, passion, and so does Kamala. Kamala has the same qualities of Lakshmi. And that's why Kamala is depicted in this way. Herma Hesse had a clear understanding of Hindu culture and of Indian mythology and brought this clearly in into his studies of the way of the Buddha learning about these things. Here is <clears throat> depiction of the Trimurti and the Tri Devi. So the Trimurti are the three primal gods that create the world. On the far left with the three heads is Brahma. Brahma is the creator of the world. When we create in this universe, when we create simple things in our lives, a new house, a new job, a new relationship, we, in Hinduism, we would look at Brahma being part of it because Brahma is the creator. In the middle is Vishnu. Vishnu is the one that maintains the existence. Without Vishnu, this existence would disappear in an instant. Because when we create, we want to sustain it for a little bit longer. And then on the right, on the top, is Shiva. Shiva is the destroyer. Things have to be destroyed, remember? We have to destroy those parts in ourselves that no longer serve us. So that we can resurrect ourselves to become someone new. And then 
we have the three Devi, Sarasvati, the wife of Brahma, on the left. We have Lakshmi in the middle, the wife of Vishnu. And we have Parvati, the wife of Shiva. So those are very powerful gods and goddesses in Hindu mythology, in the Hindu religion. And they're now infused into this person, Kamala. And here is what Kamala has to teach Siddhartha. Love can be obtained by begging, buying, receiving it as a gift, finding it in the street, but it cannot be stolen. You can never steal someone's love. Would you agree to that? It's a very simple but important lesson here. There's another story that connects to Kamala. Jesus and the adulterous woman. Remember when the Pharisees and the, the Levites, they wanted to kind of like trick Jesus into breaking the law and then have him put up on trial. And they brought this adulterous woman and they were about to stone her and they tried to trick Jesus into going against the law and he had various ways to get around it. But ultimately what he was saying, let's see if this... Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And you remember what happens? No stone is thrown, right? So that's another part that this chapter with Kamala represents. It's our own journey and Siddhartha's journey to learn about judgment, to learn about discernment, to learn about looking at people not only around their behavior, but also looking at people who they truly are. This is something I think we can learn in this community too, is how often do we sometimes behave in a way that may offend someone else. And rather than remembering that even though we may have behaved in a not very nice way, there's still the kindness and the beauty of the spirit, of the soul behind it, of Atman, of the self. So then Kamaswami, which is the next chapter with the childlike people, he's an interesting character. He's usually depicted as a materialistic guy, right? And that's what you see in that chapter. Siddhartha never really buys into Kamaswami's whole thing and then drives Kamaswami absolutely crazy. Right? Because Kamaswami is, let's see here, you know, that's, it's a pretty bad picture here. But he is rich and he has lots of women around him and he has, he has everything that he needs and he's teaching, he's thinking that he has to teach this poor Samana, this, this poor Siddhartha, he has to teach him how to become wealthy and you know, he gets really frustrated with him because even though Siddhartha is really good at it. Remember, Siddhartha was a Brahmin's son, so he was trained, he could read, he could write, and all that, and he's utilizing him in that way. But Siddhartha would never really care too much about the same things that Kamaswami cared. Kamaswami would get scared, you know, concerned about deals falling through. He would get angry when, when uh, deals are taken away from him. Siddhartha was just looking at it as a game. 
Again, another symbol of how Siddhartha is using his samana and his Brahma training and his awakening experience and starting to integrate some of these things, how to be prosperous, how to be wealthy, how to play the game, but not be consumed by it. In a lot of ways, that is the challenge that we have when we live in society. Spiritually speaking, we may not even like living where we are right now, but we have to play the game, don't you think? Right? Maybe some of us would rather come to church in shorts and sandals and t-shirt, <laughs> but I'm playing the game. We all play the game, and it's okay. It's part of it. It's how we interact, how we get to know each other, how we appreciate each other. There's nothing wrong with that. What is dangerous is when we become consumed by that. Siddhartha shows us very clearly that he is not consumed by it. He's actually telling Kamaswami these three things. And you see it all over the place, by the way, in those two, two chapters, if you read closely. I can think, I can wait, I can fast. He repeats this over and over again, and it drives Kamaswami crazy. Because Siddhartha never loses patience. He even explains the power of fasting. Kamaswami asks, him, what good is knowing how to fast? And he says, the power of fasting is that when I don't have any food, I don't go out there, run around like a headless chicken, and do everything everyone is asking me to do just to get a little food. I am content in that moment to just fast until I come upon a donation or someone who gives me food or I find food in nature. Right? There's the difference. I want you to hear this and put this in your own life. How often, when we don't get anything, don't get something, whether it's food, a beverage, the care of a loved one, a job, money, how often do we compromise ourselves by running out there and do whatever we need to do in order to fill that hole? There's power in knowing how to fast, knowing how to be content with how things are. And that ties into one final story in Christianity. Everyone familiar with the story of the rich man? Right? What animal comes to mind when we hear the story of the rich man? Camel, yes. Why? There you go, right? So when we look, this is the whole thing, right? So, so Jesus is talking to this young rich man, and the rich man wants to follow Jesus. And he's saying, well, you do your commandments, which is the top part there. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and so on. And then the rich man said, well, teacher, I have kept all these things since my youth, right? Saying, hey, I, I'm a righteous person, right? And then here it comes. <laughs> you lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. 
what does the rich man do? He turns around and goes away. The disciples are really confused about that. They say, why? Why would you do that? And it's also a confusing story for us in modern life, right? That doesn't mean that we need to clear out our retirement account and give it all to Unity Fort Worth. And please do if you can. No, no. Doesn't mean that at all. Does it mean that I have to give up all my possessions in order to become enlightened and be awakened? No, it doesn't mean that at all. We cannot all be hermits sitting in caves. First of all, there's not going to be, how many trillion people are we now? A billion people, seven billion people, right? On earth, are there seven billion people, seven billion caves to sit in for us? Probably, maybe. And how would the world function if all of us were sitting in a cave and not do anything? It wouldn't, right? So it cannot be that we need to give up everything. That's not the point of the story. But the point of the story of the rich man and the point of the chapter in, about Kamaswami is that the attachment to wealth, the anger, the concern, the regret that's linked to us trying to protect our wealth, to protect because we don't believe that we're going to be taken care of or don't have the ability to take care of ourselves, that is what's the compromising factor. That is why Siddhartha uses this just as a game because his ultimate goal is not to be wealthy. His ultimate goal is to be himself. There's a little bit more how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, that doesn't mean just because you're healthy, you're never going to go to heaven. It doesn't mean that at all. It means if you're attached to that wealth and every day you're worrying about it and you're acting and you're angry about when you lose something and all that, that's what keeps us from being in heaven. Remember, heaven is not a place we go to. Heaven is a place that we create in every moment in our lives. Right now, we have the ability to experience this as heaven or hell. Even in this room, some of us may choose to experience this moment as heaven, and some of us may choose to experience this moment as hell. That's what it really is. Are we attached to our anger, worries, or are we giving them up? and become more of who we are. So deepening our connection doesn't mean that we have to deprive ourselves from pleasure. It doesn't, matter that, doesn't mean that we have to give up our relationships or give up our hobbies or give up our things that we love to do. Sometimes that's the opposite of what it means. To enjoy things that we do is important. That's why here, when we ask volunteers to help us out, to serve, we always want to make sure they do it with joy. Because if that joy is not connected to service, we're not helping you or helping even us to grow. To deepen our connection is a spiritual practice itself. 
It means to learn to find pleasure, to find wealth without getting attached to it. It means to truly walk a path of learning to become more of who we are and enjoy humanity while at the same time we're not compromising what we truly want in our lives. And so with that, I think we leave it at that and move into meditation for today. And again, if you have already read the chapter or have not read the chapter, I encourage you to go back and read it again with some of that in mind. But now you probably have already find a place where you relax and settle yourself. And allow yourself to move beyond the senses. as much as you possibly can. Experience yourself as the true self, as Atman. Command the veil to be lifted so that you see clearly. Allow your true self to come forth. And recognize the truth that's within you. We are a hundred percent human and a hundred percent divine. We cannot separate the one from the other and we shall not do so either. What we learn in the stories of Siddhartha and Jesus is another way of learning about our lives. We're caught up in pleasures and materials and 
wealth. And sometimes we just need to remember that there is more. Let us enjoy each other as a spiritual community. Let us find common ground beyond our disagreements. Let us remember that in truth, we all want the same. A place we call home, a place we can feel that we can be ourselves. So in honor of the father and in honor of the mother, we bring the yin and the yang together and find that harmony right now. We lift the veil of illusion. We allow that harmony to grow and continue in its existence. To experience Atman, the true self. Atman, the true desire. The desire that deserves to be expressed and lived and appreciate it all day long, every day for eternity. So let us find a moment, a place, an experience for which we are grateful and give thanks to that. Let us give thanks to ourselves for the journey that we are on the willingness that we have to learn and grow. Let us give thanks to all those that surround us, teaching us, letting us know when we are off the mark, and let us know when we are spot on. Let us give thanks to those beautiful stories the myths, the ideas of greatness, of gods and goddesses, of great teachers, Siddhartha, the Buddha, and Jesus, the Christ. Let us give thanks for those who are willing to study and embrace those teachings and bring it to us. Let us give thanks for this community allowing us to be and to grow and to prosper. And so it is. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.